that time, the sports talker. Here's TJ Walker. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. Hope you're enjoying your day. An absolutely perfect day in Louisville and most of Kentucky. A little chilly out there. Should get a little warmer in the coming days, but uh, perfect. You can really ask for a better day. Hopefully you're not pent up inside too long. Should be a fun show today. A relatively slow news day. Uh, again, it is a football week, so you got Kentucky and Vandy to preview. Uh, what has gone wrong with Vandy? Why are they having such a down year? We'll talk about that. And can they beat Kentucky? What What? would they have to do to be able to pull an upset at Commonwealth Stadium? We'll talk all about that. Louisville has a game as well, uh, both teams at home. Hopefully most UK fans are planning to make the trip to Vanderbilt, make the trip to Lexington for the Vanderbilt game, rather, excuse me. Uh, that's wanted to talk about this kind of to start the show. These next two football games for Kentucky are the two most important football games for Kentucky since 2007, in my opinion. Uh, there have been more important games since then, uh, but if you stack both together, these are the most, the two most important games. And you could make a case that if you include the Florida game, it, it was the most important three-game stretch that Mark Stoops certainly has had at Kentucky, potentially will ever have at Kentucky, and Kentucky obviously comes up a bit short at Florida if you're able to win that game, uh, then it makes these next two games unbelievably important. But Vandy and South Carolina, two most important games for Kentucky, back-to-back weeks that they've had uh, maybe since LSU-Florida back in 2007. Uh, Those were two, obviously, very important games. Uh, Even back then, I don't think most UK fans imagined winning both those games, let alone one of them. Uh, Kentucky did end up hosting college game day after beating LSU for that Florida game. Kind of crazy to think that Kentucky's football program was at a point where it was hosting college game day, Uh, but it was. And then, obviously, since then, things have gone downhill. So, this is why this is so important. Obviously, everybody knows Kentucky's football program is direction moving in the right direction, seemingly so. So when you have a program that's trying to dig its claws in the SEC, you can't slip up. You can't slip up if you're Kentucky against Vanderbilt. This is a, an absolute must-win game. But it's not just important for the team to win. It's not just important for Kentucky to to look good in this game. It's important for Kentucky to look good in front of a good-looking crowd. UK needs fans in the seats for Vandy, and they've sold out of $20 general admission tickets, according to a press release from UK. Uh, you can get tickets for $35, $50. But uh, supposedly, if you go to Ticketmaster to buy your ticket and use promo code beat VU, you can get $20 reserve seats anywhere in the stadium. So that's, uh, it's important that there's a good crowd Saturday. 
again, as we talked on the show yesterday, I don't think any UK fan is worried about the crowd against South Carolina. If they were to lose to Vandy, then you potentially worry about the crowd, or if the weather was really bad, maybe the crowd wouldn't be as good. But it's looking like it's going to be an absolutely uh, gorgeous day on Saturday. Perfect football weather, high in the in the low 80s, low in the upper 50s. You imagine kickoff's going to be somewhere around 70. It's going to be perfect weather. But recruits are watching. So this isn't just an important game for Kentucky to end a 17-game SEC losing streak. It's not important because Kentucky's 2-1 and one and has a great, uh, has a solid chance to go to a bowl. Obviously, you got to win this game if you're going to go to a bowl. That, that's for sure. But it's more important than just at the surface for what it is. A great opportunity for UK to to impress its fans and to and to continue this momentum heading into the season. But it's really important for recruits. Big time programs, for the most part, big time programs that are having successful seasons will fill up stadiums for noon games. Will fill up stadiums for bad conference opponents. And Kentucky's not a big time football program, but you can you can trick recruits into thinking that. And not necessarily trick recruits, but you can trick UK's history into thinking that it's moving in the right direction. So if there's a big crowd there Saturday, Kentucky wins, looks good winning, recruits are going to notice that. Fans are going to get excited. The more fans they get excited, the more the recruits notice. There is a ripple effect here, and that's why it's so important Kentucky has a good crowd on Saturday, and it looks like it's going to be a, a pretty solid crowd. I saw a chart earlier today. Uh, Tyler Tyler Thompson tweeted it out of the available seats, and the, the majority of those available seats are from the Vandy, unsold Vandy tickets, and, and we all knew that Vandy wasn't going to bring a ton of fans. There's nothing to get excited about when it comes to Vanderbilt football right now. Uh, Vanderbilt has brought a decent crowd most of their years coming to to Commonwealth Stadium, they never sell out their allotment of tickets, but they'll always bring an okay crowd, all things considered. But it, it, I don't expect many Vanderbilt fans to head up I-65 this weekend. So most of the available tickets come from that section. Hopefully those those seats get uh, gobbled up for UK if you're trying to have a good crowd. And it's an involved crowd. It's an active crowd. I know sometimes at noon, fans can be a little possibly hungover, possibly tired, whatever it may be. But I do expect it to be a good crowd, and that will that'll look good. So this is an important two-game stretch for recruiting. So assume, and this is why it's such an important two-game stretch, because you can't have the atmosphere that you want against South Carolina. You can't have the buildup for a possible upset against a ranked South Carolina team unless you can beat Vanderbilt. Unless you can beat Vanderbilt in front of a good crowd there won't be that kind of buildup. So uh, not to jump ahead, because uh, if this does happen, it's going to be what we're going to talk about all week. But if it were to happen where UK does uh, maybe beat Vanderbilt by three or four touchdowns, then you're going to have hype all week. And again, that's going to that's gonna be important for UK's football program to be excited about a football game, about an SEC football game that UK will have a, a serious possible chance to win. I, I don't know what the line for that South Carolina-Kentucky game would be. It obviously depends on what 
Kentucky does this weekend. And it, it depends, obviously, you know, it, it's kind of early to be able to preview South Carolina hosts Missouri. So again, that would be another, uh, it's too early to kind of predict the line, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that Kentucky would be within a five point underdog of that game. Maybe even better, but you can have that hype. You can have that build up all week. You know, that crowd's going to be great next Saturday against South Carolina, but you got to do it against Vanderbilt first. So that's why I, I think this is the most important two game stretch in Kentucky's football history, certainly in the past seven years. We'll have to see how it all works out. The Vandy game is is one that they have to win. And speaking of crowds and, and sellouts and good attendances, things at Michigan aren't going well. And that's a bit of an understatement. But I, I wasn't pleased to find Michigan the butt of uh, several jokes on Twitter last night. And I understand, I, I understand stuff like that. And I'll talk. And I'll, I'm, I'm going to mention that right here. Uh, Michigan selling tickets for very, very cheap for their game this weekend against Minnesota. They're two and two on the year with wins against Miami of Ohio and Appalachian State. They have two losses to Notre Dame and Utah, Utah game at home, where they were outscored 57-10 to 10 in those two losses. That's not impressive. And after doing, uh, after doing some research, so, the, okay, this, so this is what happened. Michigan's not having a good year. So yesterday it came out that Michigan was giving away free tickets when you purchase two Coca-Cola products. So you could get two bottles of Coke at $1.50 a piece, $3, and get two Michigan tickets. Well, as I am just now finding out, Michigan has canceled the Coke, that deal for the Minnesota game. And now I've got to change one thing that I was planning on talking about today. One thing that I had written down on my list, kind of giving Michigan a pat on the back, I've got to do a 180 here and change my take. So according to the school, the Coca-Cola purchased uh, a block of tickets for the promotion, which apparently were not given the green light before it ran. Supposedly there's some miscommunication for the deal. Michigan was embarrassed by it. It definitely doesn't reflect well on the program and how well we're doing, that's for sure. That's what their athletic director said. It's honestly kind of embarrassing that that can even happen. It's definitely not a positive outlook. Well, this is uh, supposedly the, the they wanted discounted tickets with a promotion through Coke that was going to impact students. Instead, it came off as a very discounted ticket that would reflect the general public. Okay, so I was going to compliment Michigan for doing this. Michigan has a 110,000-seat stadium, uh, which is huge. They've got a 330 kickoff against Minnesota. Not a very sexy Big Ten matchup if there ever ever such a thing. 
So I was going to compliment Michigan on, on them doing this because listen, uh, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough as a, as a media member where I don't have to pay for tickets and I can go to games. And even if I want to go to a Louisville game, not credentialed and just go and, and have a few beers and, and watch football, I'm fortunate enough where, uh, my parents have season tickets and plenty of people I'm friends with have season tickets. So I can usually squeeze a ticket out one way or the other. But there, there are tons of fans, whether it's Kentucky, Louisville, Michigan, whoever it may be, that aren't as fortunate where tickets are that accessible. I've met, and I talked about it last week for the Big Blue Madness Campout, I've met tons of UK fans who have never been to Rupp Arena because it's just, it's one, they're not from Lexington, and even I, I've known some Lexington natives that have never been. But all things considered, ticket prices can be too high. And it's not just ticket prices. You got to pay for parking. If you want to eat or drink at the game, you got to, that's completely overpriced food. Commonwealth Stadium. I'm talking about UK's $20 tickets, which is a smart thing to do. So I've got a problem with major programs or even small programs that refuse to budge off very expensive ticket prices. And it is nice to see Kentucky doing $20 tickets. They could debatably do cheaper. And if all these tickets aren't sold out by Friday, you'd almost like to see them do che- cheaper tickets. I know Louisville used to do some some deals back in uh, some darker days of the football program where you could get tickets with purchase, if you purchased certain things at Kroger or Thornton's or who what are the, they had some gimmicks that gave away free tickets. And, and while that is just naturally going to be things that uh, rival fans make fun of, that, hey, you can't sell tickets. Your program's not as good. If you look at it uh, away from a rival standpoint, it's a, it's a really smart and cool thing for schools to do. Ticket prices are really, really tough to, to come by for some families. Some, some of the biggest fans of each program uh, aren't able to afford tickets. So I thought it was really cool to see that Michigan was giving away virtually $3 tickets for a 110,000-seat stadium that is likely going to have tons of empty seats on Saturday. But schools want to be stubborn and would rather have empty seats than, than fa- give the opportunity to fans to go to the game for cheap just because the, the, the publicity stunt – is embarrassing. And we've had a few people te- tweet or text into the show that the, the that the stream, the live stream isn't working. So if you're wondering why we're not reading off tweets, uh, one, it's either that nobody's listening uh, on regular radio, uh, but I know a lot of people that do listen, listen on the stream. So the stream is currently down. We'll see if we can get that fixed, uh, but we'll let you know. Uh, and if you are listening on the regular airwaves, feel free to tweet in at T Walker Rivals. So disappointing to hear Michigan do that. Uh, and credit to Louisville's football program. Let's let's not kid ourselves here. Louisville at times can have a tough time selling out Papa John's Cardinal Stadium for the season over opener against Miami. That was a great crowd. Uh, since then, there hasn't been a true sellout there. And I, and I know that, you know, that's just the Murray state game, but that's Louisville sometimes has a tough time selling out that stadium. Even, even for some, some of the bigger games, it's, it, it, they, they have a tough time, but credit to Louisville because they do make tickets, uh, 
easily accessible. They are, they're generally not scared to do promotions. They're not scared to hand out uh, cheap tickets and, and even sometimes free tickets. Uh, I've heard of some people getting them through special promotions or this and that. Louisville, I think, does have the mindset that we would rather have as many people in this stadium and let them in for cheap or free and hope maybe they spend money on beer, spend money on concessions, uh, enjoy themselves and feel more compelled to come back than to have empty, nasty, pink-looking seats. And I think that's the way to go. Kentucky has not done that as much, and it's been a worse product, so it's been harder for Kentucky. But at least to my knowledge, I haven't seen Kentucky do a special promotion like they've done for this bandy game over the past three years. And, and that's something I don't get for some of those Joker Phillips games. Uh, again, fans, uh, there, there were some fans you probably couldn't pay to go to some of those games. But I, I know that there would be some fans that if they could get very cheap discounted tickets, why wouldn't they want to go? But even, even for the Tennessee Martin and Ohio games for Kentucky, those weren't sold out crowds. UT Martin game was the first game of the year. Again, not a great time, not a, a, a very sexy matchup, not a great reason for a lot of fans to go. But what if you sell those tickets for five to ten bucks to the general public? What if you make that promotion all week when you realize that you're you're going to be short on a bunch of season tickets? You know UT Martin's only going to bring five hundred fans, if that. Why not? I, I just don't get why you wouldn't do that. Yes, you're going to lose money, but are you going to you're going to lose that money anyways by not selling those tickets? Period. And Kentucky's been boasting their game day atmosphere and how things have changed, and it has. It's more fun to be at the game. Why don't you show that to fans that maybe don't have season tickets anymore because it was just a little bit too pricey, or they don't have season tickets anymore because they're tired of losing, and try to show them that things have changed, show them that times are different, let them get in the stadium once, and maybe they'll be hooked. And and this isn't just me going after Kentucky. This uh, This is all really Michigan's fault. To have a great promotion like that for $3 tickets, which everybody made fun of on Twitter last night, and I'm sure that's why Michigan canceled the whole thing. $3 tickets that I think uh, was actually a really cool deal because you could get some fans that don't have the opportunity to generally go get their butts in the seats. But as you have it, Michigan's not doing it. They canceled it. They were embarrassed by it. And I hope that they have four or 50 thousand people in the in the stadium on Saturday and you think to yourself well 50,000 is a lot and it is but for Michigan that's less than half of their capacity so it's you're going to see this happen throughout college sports throughout the NFL fans are starting to realize how great it is to watch games on TV to save that much money to not have to fight traffic and and game day crowds, which I generally enjoy, but I know if you probably got a family and you've got two four-year-olds and you're in a hostile environment or a drunk environment, that's probably not as ideal. Attendance is going to start going down uh, for the majority of fan bases or, or just college football and the NFL in general. Cheaper ticket prices, I imagine, are going to be coming one way or the other. But if you're going to have a bunch of 
empty seats, you might as well you might as well make some good out of it. We're gonna head to our first commercial break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little more football and some other fun stories here on 1450 the Sports Buzz. This is the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. Stick around. If his mama is a quarter daughter, must be a dime. I got a meter. Don't take no shots. I don't use a reaper. Asian, I don't even play the radio neither. Only if I need to know the sports or the weather. I'm a cool type of brother, but yep, your head I suffer from the neck. See, ain't nothing changed. Hit the stage. You're listening to the Sports Talker with TJ Walker on 1450 The Sports Buzz. Back to the Sports Buzz. Feel like I was a little tough on UK there. Uh, I just, in the past, they haven't necessarily done special promotions to f- help fill the stands, and that's why you've gotten some ugly attendances over the past few years. Uh, but they're moving in the right direction. They're doing it with Vanderbilt. That's all you can ask for. And, uh, Maybe we'll see it for the Louisiana Monroe game. Some of those other games that won't be, uh, won't have the best attendance. But for now, they're they're moving in the right direction, and that's all you can ask for. Uh, some more positives about UK, and this is a this is a this is a big positive. Max Godby, the center for for Kentucky, was presented with the All State Good Works Team Award. He's one of 11 college football players to be named to the national team. Max had established a Bucks for Backpack campaign where he provided backpacks filled with everyday necessities to homeless uh, men, women, and children around Lexington. Gave out over 150 backpacks. He was uh, surprised with a plaque today by head coach Mark Stoops and some of the folks at Allstate. He's from Christian Academy in Louisville, so he's a Louisville native. And last year he was given, made a scholarship player, initially was a walk-on, was the first walk-on that was awarded with a scholarship by Mark Stoops since he's been head coach at Kentucky. And he will be honored again at the Sugar Bowl this year. And knowing and talking to Max a few times with how good of a guy he is, it would be really cool, and I'm sure UK fans would agree, if he was honored at the Sugar Bowl and had to come out at halftime in his uniform because Kentucky was playing in the Sugar Bowl. Probably a long shot. But with a, a, a guy like him on Kentucky's team, he deserves it. He deserves, he's just a, a genuine good guy with all the negative stories out there in the NFL. And, and even you hear players getting kicked off teams. Charlie Strong kicked off his ninth player at Texas. Hear all this ne- these negative stories. It's nice to hear one like this. In the backpack, it would contain a shirt, a pair of socks, toilet paper, Kleenexes, soap, washcloth, notebook, pen, a hat. Toothbrush, toothpaste, water bottles, Gatorade, pack of gum, a Bible, deodorant, uh, protein, and maybe a multi-grain or also a sandwich. Another something that they could eat. That's a backpack filled to the brim. I don't know if backpacks have brims, but filled to the zipper. 
he was nominated back in the summer. So that's huge for him. It's big for UK and a, and a positive story for Kentucky's football team and and uh, even Cal and Louisville, the high school, and uh, something a lot of people can be proud of. So it's not all all negative. There's some good stories out there. Switching gears, John Calipari made a post last yesterday on his uh, website talking about a potential next watershed moment at Kentucky. He, he started off his article talking about uh, the 2010 season when he tweeted out that it was the greatest moment in the history of Kentucky basketball. A lot of fans didn't like that. Remember, John Calipari had only been at Kentucky for a season, hadn't really built that relationship with the Kentucky fan base yet, and a lot of Kentucky fans went after him. Talked about how stupid that was, how disappointed they were with losing in the lead eight. And if you look back at that Kentucky team, that was not a Kentucky team that should have lost in the lead eight. Uh, granted, what Kentucky's done since then, I don't think too many UK fans are complaining. But it was understandable why Kentucky fans got upset after that, after his comments, after having five players drafted in the first round. But as you have it, he, he mentioned that and he felt that that there could be a chance that this could be another historical year for Kentucky. He said after that year, after having five players drafted, he changed as a coach and as a person. He said he learned his job was it was let the players eat first. And he goes on in this article, making a lot of food references really kind of made me hungry after reading it. Talked about how the players have to eat first, everybody else eats second, whether that's UK, the fans, the coaches himself. They come after the players, according to him. And he talked about now how, uh, surprisingly, a, a few players came back. He's got 11, 12 guys, 11 or 12 guys on this year's team that deserve to play, and he's got to figure out how to to give them all an opportunity to play. He says, how do I help them eat first when so many of them want to sit at the dinner table? How do I make sure no one goes hungry? Again, more food references. I'm getting... And he goes on to say, he finishes up by saying his goal, and he's on a mission, is to make sure that every one of his players have their dreams come true. No one's left behind. And he says at the end that he wants people to say, how in the world did this happen? He talks about how he changed the game with his one and dones and uh, how everybody can, how you can have multiple players succeed on one team. And he goes on to just say that it's, it's possible that Kentucky can have can have another one of those moments if things go the way that he hopes they go this year. And then he tweeted out a link of him spinning around in a chair, uh, insinuating that he's excited. Uh, I feel this is Calipari wanting to be in the news again, and, and that's fine. He has every right to want to be in the news again. 
Uh, but I, I felt more so this is a, a, a post to maybe get fans excited. But but also to... Also for fans to realize... Listen, John Calipari's going to have a ton of talent on this UK team. But the first game that Kentucky loses this year, and they're not going to go undefeated, and even maybe some narrow wins. Maybe they play a team that they should kill... Maybe they they beat them by five, three points, whatever it may be. The first time that happens, UK's fan base, and it won't be the majority, but minority UK fan base are going to say, this guy should play more. This guy should have played. That game wouldn't have been close. UK wouldn't have lost if we had him playing, if we had him getting more minutes. I have no idea why Cal continues to play him when he's not doing anything. The first time UK loses, it's going to be that. So for as great as a luxury this deep bench is for UK this year, it's going to – it will become obnoxious for Calipari hearing from the fans, whether it's call-in show or wherever it may be, about who should play. So I feel this post was not only written to excite the fans, but also to realize – to tell the fans, hey – I've realized we've got a lot of options. I've got to figure out how to use them. It could take some time. Almost a, a be patient, but it's going to pay off in the end post is what I'm taking away from this. Because it wasn't necessarily something he had to write or had to put out there. But I think he wanted to get UK fans excited. He mentioned having five players drafted in 2010 kind of hinting that there could be another another big draft day at the end of this year if UK if the season goes as planned but basically let's get there John Calipari's excited for the challenge uh, and the fans should be too but John Calipari is coming becoming very active on whether it's Instagram or making videos. He had a video of Tyler Eulis dunking on a low goal at his house, which Brad, John Calipari's son, Brad Calipari, left Lexington to go to a prep school in the Northeast. I just have no idea why you would leave Calipari's house. And it's right there for everybody to see. Richmond Road, I believe, in Lexington. But it is an awesome house. It's got a trampoline in the backyard. It's got it's got a nice little basketball goal and court, as you could imagine. I don't know why Brad Calipari would ever leave that. But anyways, last week, John Calipari had the team over, I guess, for a dinner or whatever it may be. Had Tyler Eulis Duncan. He's becoming much more active. And then he posted, obviously, when Tyler Eulis dunked, it was on a low goal. I, people have asked me if Tyler Eulis can dunk or not. I'm not sure. He's 5'9", 150 pounds. Uh, he's very athletic. But I don't know if he actually can dunk. On this video, the goal is probably at 9 feet. He has no problem dunking on that. So he jokingly posted a video of... I believe Andrew Harrison dunking.
and he asked his, uh, I guess, Instagram followers. I guess it was on Instagram. He asked his Instagram followers. Or now that I think about it, it was probably Aaron Harrison. But he asked his Instagram followers if if that guard, if the goal was lower for, for his other guard. It was funny. There was actually in the comment sections debates on whether the goal was lowered or not. Uh, but spoiler alert: both the both the Harrison twins can can dunk. But he's he's having some fun with this team. This is the Calipari that you saw around this time last year. It's the Calipari you saw before the 2012 year. If you know how to read John Calipari, you can tell when he's excited about his team. You didn't see this before the 2013 season. All he talked about in that offseason leading up to Big Blue Madness, leading up to the season, is how they've got to start over. Uh, it's going to be the hardest test that he's had at UK. And uh, the national championship aside, you you can't look back at it. I mean, it, it was a, a clear cut. Guys, It's watch out. It's almost. I think. I don't think he thought it would be as bad as it was. But it certainly. He certainly was more cautious when talking about his team. Last year, that's when the forty no talk started. Something he could have put in the rearview mirror if he wanted to, and and not had it brought up at all. He didn't. He entertained the questions. He entertained the idea. And obviously, it didn't work the way that he wanted to. He he thought it would during the regular season, but it still ended up being a, a team that went to the national title game. So he's that same kind of excited, optimistic John Calipari that we've seen before his good seasons at Kentucky. So I think he knows that this could be a, if he can get it figured out, it could be a, a really, really good team. And obviously, it it could be. You're returning several players from a national title team, bringing in solid recruits. It should be a fun year for Kentucky and John Calipari. Yates hadn't had a, a chance to see what's going on with you today. How are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? Oh, doing all right. I kind of wish I was out golfing instead it, of having definitely to. Definitely be a good day for it. Oh, it'd be perfect. Uh, I wish I was doing anything outside more so than having to work on a computer inside all day. And uh, love doing the radio show, obviously, but you know you can't really beat a nice day outside. Anyways, uh, we, big big TV day tomorrow for me. The start of Survivor. Yates, do you like Survivor? I've never really watched it. Wow, that kind of surprised me. I would have, I would have taken you for a guy that did like Survivor. At, at no point in your life, you've, you've been a Survivor, Survivor guy. Not really. I mean, I've seen episodes here and there, but I've never watched it on the regular. Huh. Uh, well, growing up, that was kind of between my dad and and I. We'd watch Survivor together growing up, and then once I got late years of high school and, and throughout college, I, I didn't really watch it. At all, but now that I'm back in Louisville and uh, I, I do, I, I do like to watch it. A girlfriend likes to watch it, so that starts on Wednesday, which I'm pretty excited about. But as I've talked about maybe a few times on the show before, I was I had never seen Big Brother, 
I'd seen advertisements for it all the time, thought it was stupid, never really knew what it was about, but just thought it was stupid because I didn't like it and uh, I was stubborn. But watched it this summer and it's been entertaining. It's kind of a mix of Survivor and the real world, except without a lot of drama, without a lot of hookup drama, I guess, uh, which is part of the reason why the real world's so hilarious to watch. But that comes to an end with the with the season finale on Wednesday, but before that, Survivor starts. So it's going to be a big Wednesday for me in my uh, at my apartment. Survivor starts. They're doing a, a, a blood versus water type of deal this year where they're going to put family members together. Supposedly, they've done this before, but again, I've only, I think, watched maybe the last season of Survivor actively where I watched every episode. But supposedly, this is something they've done before. Do you like Amazing Race, Yates? I've never really watched that much either. Man, you don't really go for the CBS reality shows, do you? No, not really. Amazing Race is a, again, that was just kind of a filler show. It'd be on Sunday nights and I'd watch it. And it was actually all right. I mean, it's kind of fun. They go to all these awesome places throughout the world and have to do stupid little challenges. So that was kind of fun to watch. They moved that to Friday nights for whatever reason. So I, I possibly will be watching it on DVR, but I clearly will not be staying in on Friday nights to catch to catch the Amazing Race. But anyways, so Wednesday night's going to be the they're going to pick the winner of Big Brother, which has been the most obvious winner throughout any reality show I've ever seen. It's clear who's going to win that, and the start of Survivor. So, big Wednesday night. TV shows are back on. It's It's been good. So, and then Thursday, football starts back up. So, all you got to do, basically, to get through the week is just wait till Thursday. And when you've got these nice little filler shows, it makes it a lot easier. We're going to head to our last commercial break. We'll come back. One more segment here on a gorgeous day in Louisville. Stick around here on 1450 The Sports Bus. To the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. We're back. One final segment here on a perfect Wednesday afternoon. Sports Illustrated's doing a, a, a fun little story idea, a game almost. Figuring out the best team to not win a to not win the NCAA championship in basketball. So whether they were upset or whatever, whatever other reasons, what are the best teams? They rank the 16 best teams to not win an NCAA championship. Yates, have you seen this? I have not seen that yet. No. So they, they rank them. Here's the thing. I don't necessarily know before 1995 who, some of these teams are or why or how good they were which is kind of scary to to think about what what if when 
I I'm 50. Are these when some of these older guys that are writing these stories are these teams going to be forgotten? But I have no reason to go back and check out the 1975 Indiana team. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. They ranked the teams. The 90, 1975 Indiana team was number two. The 1991 UNLV team was number one. Fab Five's 93 Michigan team. Number four. 1985 Georgetown team, which I do know a little bit about. That was the game, the national championship game at Rupp Arena where they lost to Villanova. They come in at number seven, number eight, 2005 Illinois team, which knocked Louisville out of the, of the final four before uh, getting beat by a much, much, much better UNC team. For as good as that Illinois team was, and it was good, that UNC team was so much better and everybody knew it. Had Kentucky beaten Michigan State in that Elite Eight game, uh, the Patrick Sparks game, they would have played that UNC game, would have played that UNC team, and would have gotten crushed in St. Louis. The 2003 Kentucky team comes in at number 13. Uh, I think most UK fans remember that team. That was a, a very disappointing outcome for for Kentucky fans uh, a game that a lot of Kentucky fans will will tell you is the the worst tournament loss that they can remember I wouldn't be uh, again that's you know that's when I was 12 years old so it didn't hit me as hard well it's kind of not necessarily true it, you, you act like a baby when you're that much younger but uh, you get over it when you're older. But uh, certainly a tough loss. There's no way to around that. Uh, seemingly a much better Kentucky team gets dominated by Marquette, dominated by Dwayne Wade, and doesn't go to the Final Four after a lot of UK fans thinking they had easily the best team in the country. I don't know if too many people would argue that that was the the Carmelo Anthony year. I do remember that year that I did win my bracket pool in my dad's office. It paid like 350 bucks, which uh, for a 12-year-old, that's a lot of money. And for me right now, that's a lot of money. So the 2003 Kentucky team makes the list. As UK fans are, are talking about on Twitter today or are on message boards on House of Blue, very surprised not to see the 2010 team on the list. And the 2010 team was much better than the 2003 Kentucky team, in my opinion. The 2010 Kentucky team, I, I feel, is one of the best teams, if not the... I, I, it was a team that lost two games during the regular season. And one was, and both those games were games that they probably should have won. And then they just have a, a night where they shoot a very, very poor 4 of 32 from the three-point line against West Virginia. 
And if Kentucky wins that game, they go on to win the national title. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and don't don't get me wrong, that West Virginia team was very good. Deshaun Butler doesn't get hurt. I, I think they have a good chance of winning the national title. And they just kind of had an off night against Duke and Indianapolis. But that Kentucky team just filled with pro players. And, and th- that's not always the end-all, be-all argument when you talk about past teams is, wow, look how great these guys do in the pro. Because it doesn't necessarily matter how many players in college are average college players but end up being great pro players and how many great college players end up being stinky pro players. It happens all the time. But that Kentucky team was just flat-out good. It was huge. It was fast. It could. Uh, it was just. It, it was faster than every team it went against. It was bigger than every team it went against. Its biggest weakness, its only weakness, was a, it was a bad three-point shooting team, and that was a, a huge weakness. And that's what I said during the sports talker during this uh, UK NCAA tournament run this last year, when UK was having a bad year and losing to terrible teams. I said on the show that guys, this Kentucky team's not going to do anything unless they start knocking down three-point shots. They're a good team. They're not the best defensive team in the country, but they're a good team. They can beat anybody, but they're just not going to be able to go far in the tournament unless they start hitting three-point shots. I don't think they're necessarily as bad as a three-point shooting team as they've shown, but I didn't didn't think they were a great three-point shooting team. But if they get hot from deep, and knock down open shots because that's the only way you could play UK was pound, lock it inside and just make them hit open threes. So if that Kentucky team could keep defensive honest, they could make a run. And sure enough, in the tournament, that's exactly what they did. They weren't an unbelievable three-point shooting team in the tournament, but they knocked down open threes, found ways to score from the perimeter, which opened up things inside. That 2010 team was just a flat-out bad three-point shooting team. It had it certainly had its good days uh, of shooting from the perimeter, but not many of them. And the one that really jumps out to me was their second-round game against Wake Forest. I, I think that game was the one where they took all their three-point shots away from the rest of the year. They used them all up in that game. But besides that game, they really didn't have other, maybe one or two other games throughout the year where they actually shot well from deep. But that West Virginia game was awful. But even not being able to score from the perimeter, out, even outside of that, that was still one of the better teams in college basketball. Another team that made the list that uh, I that definitely should have. Again, I, I'm I'm I will be great at recent, uh, more recent teams. But that 2011 Ohio State team that Brandon Knight beat on a last second shot in the Sweet 16. That 2011 Ohio State team was awesome. I mean, its worst starter was a a young Aaron Kraft, who I think got worse over his years at Ohio State because they asked him to do more. On that team, he had to distribute and play defense, and he was always a great defender, and he could always distribute. It's just when they asked him to have to be a scorer and a slasher that things got tougher for him. But that 2011 Ohio State team, they win the national title that year. I think they have the the team that could beat a Kimball Walker. They win the national title that year, if not for Kentucky. That Ohio State team was great. They come in at number 16, the last team to make the list. Uh, I think they should be higher than that. 
But an interesting list. Uh, we're running out of time. Wanted to talk a little bit more about it, but eh, we'll save it for another day. Thanks for listening today. Sorry for those that the streamer down that probably can't hear me say sorry. So we'll talk to you tomorrow, three o'clock, same time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. They say welcome to the 502. Take a Jordan boy, show him how Kentucky do. Oprah Priest Classics, paint Kentucky blue. They say don't forget 27, no be hitting two. Song call it blue, grass, song call it purple. I'ma call it home. Take a shot of tone. Lay back in the lap and take two to the dome. Ride from the bill to BG in my zone.